Community Conversations with Community Centres SA. Here's Kerry Ackermans. Welcome to Community Centres SA's podcast, Community Conversations. I'm your host, Kerry Ackermans, CEO of Community Centres SA. I'm a passionate supporter of the community sector and the fabulous work being done to help our communities thrive. Coming up in our first episode, we talk to Lisa Murphy from Big Heart Adventures about how mindful walking can reduce anxiety. And it's free, which is a bonus in these times of high cost of living. This podcast will feature stories and information on community development efforts, the programs being run by our members and general community interest topics. Across the state of South Australia, there are volunteers and staff helping our community members to find connections, access to food, housing, education and many more community services in an environment that welcomes everyone to their doors. Community centres are open for anyone and provide place-based activities to enrich the lives of people in our communities. We will be interviewing community centre members, community connection partners and community stakeholders who will share their experiences, activities, stories and upcoming events. The podcast is aimed at highlighting the good work being done to make a difference at the grassroots level to address issues such as loneliness, homelessness, social injustice and how to improve the well-being of our communities. Be sure to listen every week as we release each podcast episode. The podcast will be easily accessible on our website, communitycentressa.asn.au. Feel free to share the podcast with your networks and send us your valuable feedback and ideas for interviews at info at communitycentressa.asn.au. We're looking forward to hearing from you. We're fortunate today to be talking to Lisa Murphy, Chief Adventurer of Big Heart Adventures, who is actually going to be leading our mindfulness walk at our upcoming conference for CCSA, Community Centres SA, on November 9th. Welcome, Lisa. How are you? Hello. I'm very well. Thank you, Kerry. Thanks for having me. Well, you've got an amazing organisation there, Lisa. I see that when I have a look at your website, I love the way you introduce yourselves as culturally authentic doing guided and self-guided walking adventures that are designed for beginners, intermediate and experienced trekkers. But the main thing I really love is the fact that you're about a deeper connection to nature and improving emotional and mental well-being because we all know that anxiety is prevalent in our society today and when you speak to most people, once you used to ask them how they are and they'd say, oh, I'm busy, but now it's, oh, I'm feeling really anxious or I know someone who's anxious. So it's a big issue, isn't it? It certainly is. It certainly is. And I think uh, these days people are probably a little bit more aware of their stress levels and they're probably a little bit more articulate about it these days. So I guess the good thing is is that, you know, people are talking about it, which is a good start. Um, and I think our kind of mission, I guess, is to get people outside walking and talking. So that's going to have huge benefits for people that um, participate. And it's pretty rare to find someone who's ever come on a walk and not felt better afterwards. So <laughs> that's a usually a good sign that it's the right thing to be doing. And Lise, you're an ex-social worker and teacher, which is an interesting background to have come into a wellness travel company. How did Big Heart Adventures come about? We sort of decided, well, I decided that Big Heart Adventures um, should come about after I realised that so many people didn't have access to 
outdoor experiences perhaps necessarily due to lack of confidence, lack of experience and wanting to be able to enjoy it with others. And so by providing an opportunity for people to join a walk or join an adventure, that, I guess, enabled people to be a part of what we do. But I guess the beginnings of um, deciding whether we would start Big Heart Adventures really became a mission, I guess, when I saw in myself how different I felt after extending my outside of my comfort zone, heading onto trails, climbing, you know, incredible uh, mountains and experiencing views and experiencing a, a feeling of accomplishment, which I couldn't really feel in my everyday life with my everyday job, which was working with people. So I guess over the years, I decided that um, to be able to bring people together into those experiences, I guess, in a nurturing environment, I guess that's where that social worky sort of side of me um, has come through. And also through teaching, it's about educating people how to um, head outdoors and do it safely and heading out on hikes either with people or by themselves and all of those sort of, I guess, learnings that we um, have incidentally when we're out on the trails, gaining those hours and gaining those experiences together with others. We sort of learn from others that are around us as well. So I guess Big Heart Adventures, although it's about walking and about walking tours and travelling together with others and things like that, I guess our ethos and, and what we've developed over time has very much come from inclusion, accessibility and uh, I guess, yeah, helping people with their well-being, which at the end of the day has the best outcomes for everybody, feeling good about themselves and experiencing positive mental health outcomes, which for myself, that's probably been the biggest driver for me. I, I, that gives me my sense of purpose, so yeah. Lisa, well-being is a term we often hear today as a mantra to achieve what, what does it actually mean from your experience? Oh, I love this question because well-being is very much a personal thing and often we don't have a very good indication of where we're at with our well-being because we've become more and more disconnected from our physical bodies, I think. Just as a species, you know, we've sort of become less hunter-gatherer, you know, over generations and thousands of years. So we need to find a way back to ourselves in a way and I think uh, well-being, um, we can check in with ourselves, we can check in with our physical bodies, we can check in with our mind. But there's also a part of well-being that is about checking in with other beings. So that's checking in with other humans that walk with us or um, that are a part of our lives that we connect with. But then there's also other beings. And we think of those other beings as part of nature. It might be the wildlife. It might be trees. It might be plants. It could be anything, basically, that's not human but might be seen as something that's living in its own way outside of what we would describe as being human. So I think that connection to all three of those elements, so connection to self, connection to other humans, and then connection to other beings, i.e. nature, is, is really almost like a checklist, really, in terms of, well, how well am I feeling today? Well, how much connection and what kind of deficit do I have out of those three criteria? And usually we can find a, an answer to that pretty quickly within ourselves if we take the time to be able to, you know, spend time thinking and feeling that. So... Yeah. <laughs> well, you're certainly singing to the heart of the community sector when you talk about connection, Lisa, because that really is at the heart of what everyone tries to do within community because we know that that social connection is very important. In fact, when you look at mm. the issues around loneliness, homelessness, social isolation, they are saying that it has as big an impact as smoking, addictions, drinking. So it's interesting, isn't it? It is, and I think there's a lot of parallel there. And I think that um, it's, it's an activity by gathering with others that does sort of help solve that connection deficit that we have within our community. So I really love the way walking plays a role in that too. Like I love the way that that can gather people together so that, that it can allow people to connect with other humans. <laughs> that really um, excites me. But then also too, we're outside. So that connects people to the outdoors. 
And at some point during the walk, whether it's before or after, that is going to allow people to connect in with themselves. And it's often just a matter of checking in with yourself before and after the walk. You know, how did I feel before the walk started and how do I feel afterwards? And thinking about, you know, physically how you might feel and also mentally how you might feel. And I think just even measuring that for yourself um, is so important. So, yeah, the opportunity for community centres here, I think, for embracing this kind of activity as part of their uh, program is something definitely to be explored. And Lisa, how are mindfulness and walking linked to wellbeing? Because mindfulness, I've tried myself to meditate for many years and I can only do it as a guided meditation or else I feel a little bit like Julia Roberts and Eat, Pray, Love and I won't say what she said, but that's how I feel. Goodness, <laughs> has it only been two minutes? Yeah, I know. I think meditation is quite confronting for a lot of people for exactly that reason. I know that for me, I'm a very busy-minded person too, and I kind of struggle with concentration and things like that. So I'm a bit like you in in that sense of having it guided. But I think actually walking is the same. Like a lot of people aren't self-motivated to go for a walk by themselves either. Sometimes people don't really want to spend a lot of time in their own heads either. So I think... Walking with others helps a little bit with that getting grounded. Um, It also kind of helps to take the focus off of self for just a little bit and focusing on others and listening and and all of that kind of thing too. Um, And it's quite normal for people to walk side by side and not say anything but not feel uncomfortable about that either because it's about still connecting even though uh, it's not necessarily verbally, you know, it's not, not through conversation and not through chatting. So mindfulness is, I guess it's a, I know it's such a catchphrase these days and it's used so readily but I feel that I feel that mindfulness and walking go hand in hand because it can allow for people to be very present and I think that's what mindfulness is about it's about being present but not judging exactly what's happening around you at that time it's purely just about being in that moment and I think walking just seems to be a a safer avenue for a lot of people I guess it doesn't feel as confronting as say a meditation or being forced to go to a class of some kind or anything like that that might feel a bit instructional or or lack of instruction you know it's really just personal personal preference. Well Lisa I'm one of those people who likes to get as much benefit as I can out of doing any activity if I can get two for one which for me I'm exercising (laughs) my mind and my body that sounds fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's what, um, you know, brings people back for walking so often. It's not often an activity that, you know, has a huge level of fitness requirement or equipment. It's sort of quite accessible. So, yeah, I think it's, yeah, the less pressure we put on people, I guess, to to be a part of something, the better. So I think walking is an incredibly accessible experience for people. And look, there's a lot of urban walks too that can include people who may uh, sort of hear that word accessible and think, well, hang on a minute, I'm a wheelchair user or I use a walking frame that might be on wheels or, you know, I might have mobility concerns. But I still feel that walking can still um, offer benefit to people no matter what their pace is or their ability level or accessibility requirement if the right location is chosen as well. I'm talking to Lisa Murphy, Chief Adventurer from Big Heart Adventures about mindfulness and walking. Lisa, that fact of being alone but together is so important, isn't it? Because you don't have to always talk to the person alongside, but it does create a sense of community. So where do you see the benefits a community centre could gain from expanding walking programs in their centres? Well, I think it's probably one of the most, um, how can I say it, less intimidating things to be a part of. So there's no requirement to have a certain level of skill of any kind. Like it's just, you know, there's no pressure on people basically. It's a, a very, I just see it as a very accessible activity for a lot of people. I think community centres would 
find that you would attract more people to the centre in general because people are more likely to also find out what else might be on offer within the community centre. It's going to keep people connected to other programs quite possibly and also too there's a, a, a real opportunity to create um, a very healthy, accessible sort of um, way for people to find out if they are talking or not talking on these walks. But there could be something that pops up for someone that could be like, you know, a housing issue or a, some other kind of issue in their life that the leader or um, other people in that community of walkers may be able to say, hey, have you tried accessing this service or that service? And that's also keeping those community linkages quite strong um, to accessing other services that might be available in the area. So that sense of community is... Sometimes it's really, really understated, but it's it's one that I've seen grow just from the walking programs that we've offered that aren't necessarily geographically specific like a community centre is, but I feel that a community centre, because it is so geographically specific, it has even more potential to help more people accessing the things that they need to lead a very healthy and fulfilling life. And that, of course, is going to contribute to good wellbeing. And Lisa... Community centres do undertake place-based activities, which is why it makes it convenient, it's welcoming, it's an open environment. And under Mm -hmm. our Community Connections Program, what we find is that trying to find out where people are at or their key issues can't be done in four walls, carpets and white walls, blue interior. But if you're outside in nature and feeling relaxed and comfortable and you build a rapport with somebody, that's when you'll actually share, isn't it? Absolutely. And look, it's not counselling. I really need to make that clear. It's really not a therapy of any kind. It is very informal and And also, too, the one thing about walking that um, I think a lot of people find a lot more comfortable than being in those four walls with people and talking very specifically about things is that walking allows people to walk side by side or in front of each other, behind each other. There is a lot less eye contact. And for, for a lot of people that don't like opening up about things, that's huge. So some of the best conversations we've found and some of those accidental, you know, I guess, not accidental counselling sessions, but those accidental active listening sessions that tend to happen amongst group members or between leaders and group members, you know, they're, they're so, um, they're effective because they're out in nature and they're not necessarily having that eye contact that can make people feel quite intimidated or very uncomfortable about, you know, something that they might be experiencing that they genuinely might need some help with or needed or seeking advice about. So, yeah, it's a very informal, non-therapeutic way of um, enhancing people's, you know, life experience in a way and their outcomes as people. And Lisa, you will be guiding the walk along with your other leaders on November 9th at our Community Centres Essay Conference and in discussions and preparation we were talking about the importance of having somebody qualified who is looking out for people, does understand and is aware of any medical conditions. Mm, Yeah, that's really important. So when I guess an activity is undertaken in any sort of public sense like that, there's always at some point someone who's responsible for that group of people or that event So our leaders are uh, qualified outdoor leaders. They've undertaken training that's included um, all kinds of risk assessing, group management, you know, weather checking, all of the sort of stuff to keep a, a group of people safe. And that also means that, you know, if we do have someone who might have a medical condition that is really important that we know about, that it's disclosed, you know, formally, so that, you know, if that person needs extra support on that walk, then our leaders are going to be fully prepared for that too. So it is important when we have leaders that they have had that training um, and that they're not put in a position themselves where they're feeling, you know, like they're out of their depth. So um, it is a a great way, I guess, to 
give people reassurance that when they're being looked after by a leader, this person is a responsible person, they're carrying first aid, um, they have procedures and uh, things in place for incidents if that was to happen. So if someone was to become unwell or injured or have maybe a blister or whatever that may be, you know, it's having that person that knows um, how to manage that but also manage the welfare of everybody in that group as well. So, yeah, something that we value as well, making sure that we have people that are considered professionals in this field, you know, because we want those events to be running as smoothly and as successfully as possible. And Lisa, people can actually become a leader. What sort of pre-qualifications? Because you were saying that you've got a program now, you're trying to get more women into this because it's something that personally benefits them as well as it can become a professional role as well for them. That's right, yeah. So um, the outdoor industry has always been quite a male-heavy space and I guess over the last seven years, eight years since we started our business, we've had a really big investment in uh, training female leaders to uh, lead other women particularly as well to again offer that role modeling and um, offer that sort of you know that saying of she can't be who she can't see so you know we need people to be role modeling and we need women to be in the space too to be able to show that yes this is a role that women can undertake we welcome everybody to become leaders by the way Uh, we don't always have female leaders across our entire business we have male leaders as well but that, that grew out of the need for more women to feel comfortable with uh, female leaders if they were at the beginning of their um, outdoor journey. So becoming a leader, is it is about receiving training to become um, an outdoor leader, which is a um, it's like a bushwalking leadership certificate, to, for want of a better word. Now, that's transferable not just in trail environments, but also in urban and coastal environments as well. And it really arms the, the leader, the future leader, to be able to measure those risks make decisions, follow procedures and of course have a first aid certificate of some kind depending on where they're walking. That could mean a senior uh, first aid or it could be a more uh, detailed first aid certificate such as remote area first aid or a wilderness first aid certificate. And combined with those sort of two qualifications and of course plenty of work experience in that space, it really uh, opens up so many opportunities for leaders to gain confidence, um, feeling empowered. There is a lot of work in our industry that often goes unfilled. We always have a shortage of outdoor leaders to help expand, not just programs where we operate um, in the adult space, but also in the, the you know the school space as well. There is a, a big need for more outdoor leaders to be able to help leading um, our school students in um, school programs as well that aren't necessarily teachers. So, yeah, there's definitely scope for, I guess, building our um, leadership community, um, especially in South Australia. Well, Lisa, that's fantastic. So not only can you get fit, but you can get yourself a job as well. That's a great opportunity. (laughs) Absolutely. Lisa, how do our listeners find out more about your organisation? Oh, thank you. Yes, they can contact us. Uh, We've got a website they can check out, which is bigheartadventures.com.au. We have um, an office. They can give us a call on 087006. 5620 or they can drop us an email hello at bigheartadventures.com.au Thank you Lisa and I'm looking forward to that mindfulness walk. Oh thank you so much Kerry it's been lovely to chat with you thanks again for having me. Well thank you for listening today the podcast will be easily accessible on our website communitycentressa.asn.au and remember to share the podcast with your networks and send us your feedback and perhaps ideas for interviews at info at communitycentressa.asn.au. We look forward to hearing from you and thank you for listening in. Community Conversations. For more information, check out communitycentressa.asn.au.